Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to episode 18 of SFF Addicts, a bi-weekly panel podcast featuring writers from fanfiaddict.com, authors, publishing professionals, bloggers, and more, where we come together to chat about science fiction and fantasy, as well as the occasional jaunt into the wider SFF industry. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and this week we've got another Fanfi Addict family panel. It's been a while since our last one, but I was very happy to be joined this time by fanfiatic bloggers Tori Gross, Benny, Nati, and Sean as we share our favorite fantasy books and series, and why we love them. This was quite a sentimental episode as we talked about what the fantasy genre means to us, offered up a total of 10 of our personal favorite fantasy books or series, two from each of us, and delved into the current state of the fantasy genre and what we'd like to see more of fantasy-wise in the future. Now. Before we jump into the panel, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the amazing folks at The Broken Binding. They live to serve all of your fantasy and sci-fi needs with signed books, reprints, and the most amazing gift wrapping you could ever ask for. Make sure to visit them at thebrokenbinding.co.uk and use the promo code FANFI, F-A-N-F-I, for 5% off your next order. All right, now on to the panel. Here we go. All right, welcome everybody to episode 18 of the podcast, and we're finally doing another FanFi Addict family panel. It's been a while since the last one, but I'm very, very excited to be joined by some new faces and one returning. And I'm joined by an amazing crew from the FanFi Addict book blogger family, and this is going to be a discussion about our favorite fantasy books and series and why we love them. So I'll introduce all of you one by one, if you can then tell viewers and listeners a bit more about yourselves. So first up, making her fourth appearance on the show is none other than Tori Gross. Welcome back, my friend. Good to see you again. Hi, guys. Hi. Um, I've got my nephew today, so sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Can you tell everyone a bit more about yourself? I am releasing my debut novel this summer, and I'm reading and writing and just vibing the vibe right on and your book you're going to be self-publishing that now right yes i did leave my publisher so right on i'm super super excited we gotta we gotta do something about that give you a little bit of a a boost on the podcast uh but next up we have benny making his first appearance on sff addicts how are you sir I'm really good, thanks. Thank you, yeah. It is my first appearance. Um, Avid listener, first time (laughs) attendee, I guess. Panelist. Can you tell folks a bit more about yourself? Um, I come from England. Yeah, I come from England where we have a weird measurement system. And um, I like reading reading books, fantasy primarily. And I run the Oasis Discord and have way too many hobbies for somebody with as much free time as I don't have. So yeah, try and squeeze everything in. Right on, man. Well, I'm very, very happy to have you here. And we also have Nati joining us for the first time. Welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> Can you tell everyone a bit more about yourself? 
Um, sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm from Miami, born and raised. Um, and now I live in the middle of Florida in the country. <laughs> um, and I like to read. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for being here. And last up is Sean, nonchalant Sean, making his first appearance as well. How's it going, buddy? I'm good. Uh, my name is Sean. I go by Sean Chalant online. Um, it was from a band that I was in. We called ourselves Na Na Nonchalant. And so then my name became Sean Chalant because of nice. that. Three um, times nonchalant. I'm an avid fantasy and horror reader. Yeah. And uh, stay at home dad. And if you guys don't mind, real quick, the little kids I take care of want to just pop in and say hi to everyone. No worries. No worries. Come on and say hi. Uh, one of them's not very happy about it, I guess. Uh, this is the star of my blog. She's the one in all the book pictures. Say hi, Raylan. Hi. And then this is the older sister, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hey, Anna. <laughs> they're saying hi. You can't hear because they're in my headphones. Hi. All right, guys. <laughs> all right. And, oh, uh, so cute. Yeah, I guess that's my intro. Cool, man. Well, welcome to the show. (laughs) We got we got lots of family up in this fanfiatic family panel. And yeah, I'm very excited today to be talking about our favorite fantasy books and series. So kicking things off, since we're talking about our favorite books and series, um, I wanted to go simple at the beginning, obviously. So I'll toss this to you first, Benny. What does the fantasy genre mean to you? So simple. Um (laughs) <laughs> oh good question um to me i guess this is a really open question isn't it i guess to me fantasy is magic and um heroes and villains and worlds that don't exist necessarily in our world or worlds that are hidden to us like urban fantasy i suppose is like worlds that we can access but they're hidden so yeah anything that is exciting and has elements of yeah, magic, I guess. I guess magic is a big part of fantasy for me. Not for everything, because some fantasy books don't have magic in, but I think magic isn't is something that I would put as in us in if you did like a like a word like a storm, like a brainstorm, is it? I'm trying to think of the words here. If you're trying to think of like a, a word sort of storm, I'm completely making new terms up here. Where you just um you know, like uh, wrote down words linked to that word. I think magic would be something that come up. Not to say I don't read books that don't have magic in, but magic is definitely one of the, the things that would, would be for me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And Nathie, what about you? What does fantasy mean to you? Um, well, it's always been something that I gravitated to. Um, I like things that aren't real. I like magic, like Benny said. Um, I tend to like monsters and creatures that don't exist. Um, that's something that I really like. And it, it's it all started with Harry Potter. <laughs> And then from there on, I moved to, you know, vampires and werewolves. And it just kept going, getting better from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I hold dear. And I really just like fantasy. Cool. And Sean, what about you? Um, for me, fantasy is it's an escape personally for me especially in all of these times that we've had lately um i think fantasy is a really really unique because it allows us to hold up a window to our own world without directly reflecting things 
And so we can ask ourselves questions that I don't think you can through traditional storytelling because you're allowed to make up your own religion. You're allowed to make up your own history. And so you can examine human history in a way. What if it went this way? What if it went that way? Or if we had this magic, what would people be like? Where would the world go? It's something I love about Abercrombie with the first laws. I feel like it's very cynical, but it's realistic to where if there is magic, that's kind of what the world would look like. And um, I don't know. I try not to get hung up on a lot of like subgenres in fantasy because I grew up on horror. So, like, for me, take the first fantasy thing I ever saw was Army of Darkness, the third Evil Dead movie. Oh, dude, so good. Like, I, I consider it fantasy. It's medieval. It's got magic. It's got a chosen one. And, I love uh, Evil Dead. And from, mm-hmm, yeah, like, and I think, like, that when you watch the show, it builds mythos, and it feels like an urban fantasy to an extent. Yeah. And uh, Stephen King was my gateway in the reading, of course. So his big Dark Tower world, that was a big lure into finding all the connections between every one of his books and finding his hidden mythos in his world. And uh, somebody compared Robert Jordan to Stephen King. And that's, that was, that was it for me. I found the wheel of time and nothing like Stephen King, but I still love fantasy after finding the wheel of time. Yeah. 14 books later. I have not read it yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've not read it. I started rereading it for uh, the show. So I did like a panel, okay. on, a review panel of the show and just kind of wanted to jump back into it. I never finished the series, but I went back into it and just started again, just out of curiosity. And uh, some things that don't necessarily hold up the test of time, but overall mm-hmm. amazing. And for me, Sean, like you nailed it in terms of my sort of perspective on why I read fantasy is like A, the escape and mm-hmm the ability to just kind of like transport yourself through a portal and into a new world and, and experience something new and kind of gain new perspectives based on um, something that is fantastical and out of the ordinary, but as you mentioned, also puts a, a mirror up to humanity and allows us to challenge certain uh, uh, preconceptions of how the world is or challenge certain uh ideas or or ways of living and present things that that could be you know i always love the could be of fantasy Mm -hmm. it's like this is how things could be yeah and that for me just always gripped me and and kept me reading fantasy and you know i won't get into into subgenres either because that's a that's a fucking mess (laughs) but um (laughs) i do love the variety of fantasy too and that for me is so important because there is so much to experience regardless of what you like to read you know not that you're mentioning that you uh started off with harry potter but then you moved into things like vampires and there's just so much variety there for whoever wants to read it and now i think there's more variety than ever and that is something that we will get into later but tori i'll get your your take on it first on what fantasy means to you personally um so that's a really loaded question Adrian. I know. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I write in fantasy, YA fantasy, but you know, fantasy still. Um, pretty much everything I read is in some way fantasy. Um, it always has been, except for a few um Dean Koontz novels. <laughs> and uh um Mm-hmm. Some more science fiction, some science fiction novels, and uh, I don't know. It's just 
it's the heartstone of, of everything I do. And, you know, I've always wanted to be an adventurer and be a wizard or be a witch or, you know, um, be something other than what I am. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what fantasy gives people. And I think that, um, it's something really special. Yeah. It's like the ability to role play and, and, and place yourself into the shoes of, of somebody else. And, you know, for me personally, I wouldn't just lump fantasy into this, but I would say like a lot of literature as a whole is kind of just like an empathy building exercise. And Mm -hmm. the more that you place yourself in other people's shoes, the more you understand different perspectives and take that back into the real world. And you're less likely to be judgmental towards someone who's different. So yeah, hundred percent Tori. Yeah. A good way. And the empathy thing I was saying, I have, I'm on the autism spectrum. So reading has really helped me understand people better. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like, I feel like I've been able to connect with people better since I started reading daily. Yeah. Cause it, you're just absorbing yeah. yourself in different uh, characters yeah. and different, different yeah. perspectives forces yeah. you to see the world through other people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Cool. Well, now that we've established our more sentimental connections to fantasy, we'll get into our favorites in terms of books uh, or whole series. Uh, The plan is to share two or three of our favorite fantasy books or series, and we'll go one by one, each of us sharing uh, one pick at a time. And if anyone else has read that book or series, feel free to jump in with uh, some commentary. So I'll start off with a series that I recently finished and absolutely love, adore to the bottom of my heart. I even got a chance to talk to the author. Uh, a few times, and that is the Greenbone Saga by Fonda yes. Lee, starting off with Jade City. I love these books so, so much. But for me, the the thing that really stands out about this, we've just been mentioning empathy and putting yourself in other people's shoes. This is the kind of story that put me in the shoes of characters that I didn't expect to uh, relate to so much because they are part of a a criminal family on a secondary fantasy island that is loosely based on East Asia, uh, 1980s sort of technology. You know, you got vibes of uh, Hong Kong and, um, you know, Kowloon walled city and and places like this mixed in with jade magic. And, you know, these are jade fueled gangsters is kind of how I boil this series down. But it's so spectacular the way that she's created characters who are so well-rounded. Um, and there are, they're all part of a, a, a crime family in a society that doesn't necessarily view them as criminals. And so it's kind of like a, a morally gray world and characters who sort of fill into a gap that from our perspective, would, we would consider them bad people or morally gray. but just because of the context of the world that they inhabit and the things that they do, these characters and their relationships, I just became so invested in them. And I had no idea that I would be, you know, thrust into this world so deeply to the point where, you know, you got books one, which is more focused uh, in a city book two, which expands the family's, um, you know, uh, criminal organization beyond just the shores of, of the, of the city and the Island that they inhabit to other parts of the world. And then book three sort of, uh, uses time in a similar, in a similar way and expands time. And you get to see these characters age and you get to see all the trauma that they 
uh, incur on other people, but also absorb and, and see within their own family and friends. And it's just, it's brutal, but it's also genuine and heartwarming. And I don't know, like I, I read the book, I read book three, uh, Jade Legacy, and there were points where I was just like on the verge of tears because I've seen all the shit that these characters have gone through and the way that they've grown up and the kind of stuff that they've had to come to grips with in terms of death or, um, you know, personal loss in terms of, uh, the sort of wear and tear of being a gangster, being a criminal and having to compete in a world that is very, very cutthroat. And all of it just came to the end in such a beautiful way. And this is one of those series where it's like, it's complete. And this, the ending is if you're invested enough to read from books one to three, I guarantee that the ending will satisfy you in a heartbreaking way, but in a way that will linger with you, you know, in the heart. And that to me is what fantasy does best. It's like, if you can create a world and a care and characters that, that readers connect with on that level, and you can carry them through all the way to the end and you can nail that landing. And it's like months, years later that person is still thinking about it and they get chills get little goosebumps and all that kind of stuff that is the potential of fantasy and fonda lee absolutely nails it with this series so that's my first recommendation and uh, i'll toss it over to you nati for your first one. Oh, um well my first one is you know we have to talk about brandon sanderson <laughs> <laughs> um this <laughs> this is the first Brandon Sanderson book I read Warbreaker. I absolutely fell in love with it. Um it did take me a while to read because it's a chunker. Um but I just love everything that it has. It has politics, it has magic and it's not limitless. It is um uh you get you know consequences to using the magic. Um it has diversity. Did I say that? I don't think I said that. Not yet. I don't remember. <laughs> um, and uh, it has a talking sword. So if you like weird things like that, I'm pretty sure you'll like that book. Um, but That's dope. Right? <laughs> um, and it's, his name is Nightblood. His. I don't even know if it's a man or a woman. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brandon Sanderson, just by reading this book, became one of my favorite authors, just reading that book. Um, and I don't even know what else to say, because I just love it so much. I, haven't I think read you that. should pick it up. It's a standalone. Yeah, I haven't read that book in particular, but Brandon Sanderson, obviously his books are chonky. That's a given. But um, I get I get a similar feel from his other books in terms of what you're saying, like the way that the the magic always has consequences gives you an extra level of investment in the story um and just the immersion that he creates in his world building is is fantastic but yeah the, uh, the the characters in this book are amazing and you actually feel for them you you know you f you feel what they feel um it does have a slow burning romance but it is it is not what drives the story um, the story is driven mainly by plot and the characters, um, which is what I liked about it because it had all the elements I like in fantasy, um, 
you know, I do like romance. I'm not a heavy romance reader, but I like the fact that it had it. And uh, it had, you know, these God, uh, God-like people. And it just it has so many things. And I think that it's like the perfect Brandon Sanderson starter. It's a standalone. Um, and he is planning on writing a sequel to it. Um, I just don't know when. You know, he has so many things he's writing right now. So yeah. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> he he can do it. If anyone can do it, it's Brendan Sanderson. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. For you personally, do you want to read a sequel to Warbreaker? Like, do you want to inhabit that world a little bit more? Um, I think that it was perfect the way it ended, but it does end in a sort of cliffhanger because it kind of ends in a way where it's going to keep going. And mm-hmm. I do want to know what happens next. I want to know what happens to a particular character, oh, oh, two particular characters. Um, so I think I will read it once it comes out, probably in the year 2035. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> he'll, get to, he'll, get, he'll get to it before then. Dude wrote like five novels so. just offhand. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, he's probably already got yeah. six halfway done right now. Yeah, exactly. That's not even fair. <laughs> <laughs> he's a I robot. can't even finish one. It's <laughs> uh, so like, let, let's all... The man's a printing press. Yeah, exactly. Let's just leave him be to, to write his novels. And we can enjoy them, you know? Like, not the... I, I love his books, too. I, I will say they're not, like, my all-time favorites. Um, but definitely, like, the most consistent fantasy writer that is working today yeah, and sure. that I can respect wholeheartedly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I even appreciate how easy he makes it for the reader too, because mm-hmm. um, I know there's some authors that don't like to hold the reader's hand and I'm not saying Brandon Sanderson holds your hand, you know what I mean? But he yeah. makes it easy for someone, let's say someone that's starting in the fantasy genre to actually pick up and like it. Yeah, completely agree. That's, I think one of the things he uh, does well is the magic. He always finds real-world comparisons to the way the magic works, and it makes it understandable. And it's just, I don't know. And the workman-like prose that people criticize, I think, works in his favor. because That's why Stephen King That's book. why Stephen King is so successful, And Stephen too. King's the same way, too. Like yeah. he, he, yeah. he, he puts himself on a schedule, and he just writes, and that's what Sanderson does. Tori, you were going to say something? Um, Justin and I have actually talked about this before. Um, that is like one of his trademarks is his accessibility. Um, I, I can't remember if, so I, you know, I may be saying something completely wrong and I don't know if Brandon Sanderson will ever hear it, but if he does, sorry, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that it's intentional. I think that, you know, he wants fantasy to be accessible. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't want it to be something horribly lofty. Um, now, I could be misremembering our conver- my con- mine and Justin's conversation, but um, that's what I remember. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I. If that's wrong, sorry, Brandy. I can imagine he doesn't intentionally <laughs> because he has the the skill as a writer to be able to manipulate his prose in that way. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I recently talked to Gareth L. Powell, and he approaches his sci-fi in the same way. It's like approach it in an accessible way because he 
consciously wants to convey a scene or a character or an emotion, whatever, in a way mm -hmm. that is most clear for people. And then he allows them to sort of like fill in the negative space of, of extra detail in their imagination. And that is what he likes to do with his writing is give the accessibility to the reader give them the information that is absolutely necessary and then allow their imaginations to take hold after that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And Tori, since we're on you, if you want to jump in with your first pick. Okay. Um, I think that my first pick is criminally underrated and does not get talked about nearly enough. It is called Sky in the Deep by Adrian Young. And it's very Viking-esque. Um, when I, I, I tore through this book, um, and, and when I read it, I was so just captivated because there's an enemies to lovers trope in this. And honestly, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> like we all love it. We all love to see yeah. it. You know, it is what it is, but, um, I think that the character creation is so poignant and heartfelt. Like each each character is is motivated, you know, by something different and there's there's found family, there's um all kinds of just wonderful things in this book that that I think are that I think are overlooked. I don't think Adrian Young is overlooked. You know, she's immensely popular with Fable and its sequel, which, whose name I can't currently remember. Um, but this book in particular, I think, doesn't get the love it deserves. Um, the protagonist is flawed and angry and, you know, I get it. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just... I read it a while ago, a couple of years ago, but it's it's always stuck with me as one of my as one of my favorite books. So, um, yeah. And you mentioned the enemies to lovers trope, and it's like after all the conversations I've had doing this podcast about tropes, I've come to the realization. Quinby Olson said it best, which is, I'm paraphrasing here. It doesn't matter what the trope is, so long as it's done well. Who cares? You know, exactly. if the person, if exactly. the person goes into it and they throw their passion at that trope amongst other things within their world and their characters, who gives a shit? It's all good. You know, if that trope, exactly. if that trope connects exactly. with the reader, this is perfect. Exactly. And it's done. It's, it really is done so well because, you know, they're from, I, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything, but the, the concept of it is that they're from warring tribes. And so, you know, they're, they're destined to be enemies and. They they just end up finding common ground and falling in love, and it's just it's wonderful. Cool, that sounds awesome. I need to check it out. I haven't read. It I is. Read I highly highly recommend it. Young, so, oh, she's neither have I. Phenomenal. I got to support a fellow Adrian. So, and uh, Benny, what about you? What's your first pick? Um, I'll just I'll show you, but I've just got to agree with like with Jade City and the Greenbone Saga. It's ridiculously good. And I'm a massive fan of Barrow, mm. which a lot of people don't like. He's an so awesome like, I like the whole series and how it yeah. ended. Mm. Um, yeah, 
It was really good. Uh, and Warbreaker, I haven't, I haven't read yet, but it's it's on the shelf. And I'm really intrigued do to it. get to it. So I will read it at some point. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Um, so the first series is it's, it's Rivers of London. So this mm. this is um, essentially the first cover, but this is like a 10th anniversary one. And it's written by Ben Aronovich. And Ben Aronovich used to be a writer for Doctor Who. And then I used to work at Waterstones as a bookseller, which is like our sort of Barnes & Noble, if you like. And then he went and wrote Rivers of London. Rivers of London is very much an urban fantasy story. And there's the ninth book is out on the 7th of April in about two weeks. And there's two or three novellas. And they're just they're just fantastic. They're just really good. They're not urban fantasy like um, Benedict Jacker's ones, which I suppose, I don't know if you guys have read that, those ones. They're, they're no, Sean's not in. So like, they're, they're good. They're, I've read the first two and they're set in London as well. Um, whereas and the guy in, in the, the main character in Benedict Jacker's series is like sort of like a he's a magician and there's like a council and he owns like a magic shop. With this one, it's it starts with a constable, like a police officer, if you like. I'm just doing Americanisms <laughs> here. So it starts with a police officer and he's on patrol and he's guarding a murder scene for the, for the police in London. And he ends up taking a statement about what happened, a witness statement from a ghost. And that's how it starts. And there's been this murder. And then as the stories go on through the series, like he is a police officer and then he gets more and more involved almost in this sort of secretive world that not many police officers know about. Only like to say the very high, like the a commissioner, I suppose you'd say, like the superintendent knows about this special division of police that deal with these magical crimes. And there's recurring characters and there's like the magic's based off of Latin. There's like level one, so you'd say one word and then to get a bigger effect or to add something on, there's two words. And so as the series go on, he learns more magic and the spells become more devious and there's the, the crimes become more like hideous and highness and there's recurring characters like there's, a, there's an antagonist at a certain part in one of the books and they make a return for so many books and like they're like a big problem it's called rivers of london because the rivers are all entities and normally women and like it's almost like a I suppose like like a water god and they've all got so you've got the river thames and there's loads of other rivers like the river thames is like a huge one that goes through london and, and other parts but there's other little rivers and estuaries and brooks and they've all got somebody um, and there's magical beings and stuff, and like he's got like um, he's kind of got like there's a like a Dumbledore to Harry kind of vibe with him and a guy called Nightingale who's like was fighting in World War Two against the Nazis with magic and stuff. So it's like he's got a story there, and they're just brilliant. They're just they're just a lot of fun. They're not hard books to read. They're only three hundred odd pages, three fifty. Um, but they're a lot of fun to read. Um, it's very much what would happen if Harry Potter joined the police. It's very much nice. just like that. <laughs> There's not tons of police stuff in there, so it won't, <laughs> it won't drown you in police like talk. It's very just just what you need to know. Um, and a lot of it is just like really well thought out crimes and what starts as. There's a program over here called Jonathan Creek that was on in the 90s, and it'd be like a woman's found dead in a room and like there's no way to get out how did it happen it's like an impossible mystery to solve and it would get solved by the by the intelligent investigator it's a bit like that where there's a crime and you've got things like there's ghosts there's like there's vampires there's like i've got a terrible memory because of adhd but there's like demon traps where there's these traps almost like a bear trap but if you step on it it sucks your soul out and it powers the trap and then somebody can use that soul power for something it's just really good. There's a lot more to the Rivers of London series than meets the eye. Um, so if you like want like a quick urban fantasy read, I think in America it's called Midnight Riot. I don't know why the first books changed names. So if you want to pick up the first one, it is called Midnight Riot. And then there's like number nines out in two weeks. And then there's a couple of novellas which are about different characters. So 
yeah, highly recommend it. Really, just a lot of fun. Damn. Really, really that good. That sounds awesome because I've been, it, you know, it I love I love uh, urban fantasy detective novels. You know, it's like Dan Stout's uh, Carter Archives. Um, who is it? Uh, Jim Butcher's Dresden Files. Yeah, uh, Luke Arnold with his Fetch Philip archives, that kind of stuff. I really love. So yeah. I heard of Rivers of London, and it's definitely on my TBR. But man, I had no idea. It's already nine novels in. That's crazy. Yes, there's a lot to it. Honestly, I, I wish I could remember more. There's there's really good characters, and yeah, there's loads of stuff happens. Like it's completely you won't say anything, but there's loads of stuff happens, and it, it goes across different books, and there's relationships, and there's like Fay, like a like fairy world, and there's there's so much stuff in there. It's a lot deeper than you might expect. Yeah, it's really yeah, good. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, really good fun. Uh, you, you've sold me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. yeah I good. Need they have the. Oh, I'm sorry. That's gonna be it. Go ahead, Matthew. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I saw the box set on Amazon and it's pretty cheap. It's like, I think 30 bucks and you get, um, oh. the, you know, a couple of the books. Cause you said nine books. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty cheap. Yeah. I've been eyeing it for a while. Yeah. I'm going to have to go yeah, find they're really good. I think what my hang up was, and you cleared it up for me was my confusion with the title. I'd see people talk about rivers of London and then I'd look it up and see midnight riot. And I was like, what the fuck, what am I supposed to, what am I getting? <laughs> And so I just, yeah. <laughs> I gave up. But now that I know Midnight Riot's book one, I'll go ahead and grab it. I've only yeah, ever seen so the yeah, Rivers it. of London title. Me too. I didn't yeah. know it was called something else. Oh, yeah, no, my, my Barnes & Noble had a Midnight Riot there. And I was like, oh, that must be a new book or something. And I left it there. Oh, that's I so will weird. Say that, <laughs> things are I will say that Rivers of London is a way better name than Midnight Riot. It's I like, think yes. so too. <laughs> that's, that sold me on it immediately. I was like, okay. Because if, if I think about London, I think about River. Just the, just the Thames. Nothing else. Yeah. This is like, oh shit, yeah. what else is going on here? <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, there's um graphic novels as well. I think they're set maybe between the books and stuff. There's like eight graphic novels set in the same world. Mm. There's a TV show coming Amazing. as well. Made by you know Simon yeah. Pegg and um his friend uh, Nick, yep, Nick Nick from like Shaun of the Dead oh, and Paul. Cool. Yeah, they're 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 in they're doing the TV show for it. So very I'll cool. be right back, guys. I'm gonna go get yeah. this books. That sounds amazing. I mean at first like... you mentioned Go ahead, Nathan. I'm sorry. No, 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 go go, 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 go. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, gonna say that at first he mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> you, you go for it. He mentioned please. Doctor Who and I was like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Doctor Who's a good selling point. <laughs> yeah, too. a lot of fun. <laughs> so I think you two need a countdown for when one of you wants to speak. Whatever, Tori. <laughs> yeah, the live audience are watching Nancy. <laughs> Live? Live? No, we're not doing it live. Yeah, live audience is being projected. Benny, he's just, been just, messing with just me. Just quit it, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's been a little shit disturber. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've had two babies in, in this like area. So if we're doing this live, they heard everything. Oh, don't, worry don't worry about it. All right, Sean, I'll toss it over to you. What's your, what's your first pick? All right, for my first pick. Um, when I was thinking about this, I went with series and I don't like to pick a favorite series unless I've read it all or it's done. Mm-hmm. And that's why Jade City isn't on here. Cause I haven't read legacy yet. I'm afraid to, cause don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> just like, be so broken. I picked, that's it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to dedicate a week to mourn. Mm-hmm. But so I brought, uh, the dragon bone chair and it's series memory star on thorn by Tad Williams. Um, I know I mentioned earlier Wheel of Time was like my first gateway into fantasy, but the first one that I loved was this series. My grandpa gave it to me, and 
I just fell in love with it after that. Um, the main character, Simon, is a very simple, like it's 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 kind of the farm boy thing, but he's a, he's a, I don't know, he's a servant. He cleans instead of being a farm boy. He serves in the castle, but he's a very simple kid. And he's definitely got some kind of ADHD, like he cannot stay on one task. And I found that incredibly relatable. Like a good chunk of the beginning is him just being yelled at for never doing what he's supposed to and getting in the trouble. And I don't know, that really clicked with me. There were parts of him that felt like the character, like I said, ADHD. Some parts felt like he was on the spectrum with me. Like there were things that he did with people that I could relate to where he didn't connect with them or understand them quite like I do or like I don't. You know what I mean? And uh then it just it grows and the first book was such a small tale about simon and then the second book the cast explodes and then the world just got so much more epic and it was the first series i ever just binged i couldn't take a break i couldn't try and read another book in between and yeah i don't know i feel like it's very underrated it's uh kind of straddles that line between um lord of the rings and george r, r. martin like martin has said that the series is a huge influence on him and you can see that there's morally great characters. They're very real. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I could talk about this series all day. So when, when did you first read that series, Sean? Great. Uh, when I was 16 ish high school. And have you reread it at any point? Uh, I am actually currently rereading the first book. Cool. How's uh, that experience with, been? Uh, David S. I love it even more the second time around. I feel like it still holds up. I am just as invested in it. I'm taking my time with it this go around. The reason I'm rereading it is Tad Williams actually is doing a sequel trilogy or series because they're four books now. And it's incredible. It takes place 30 years later. And the I'd say these books are worth it to read just to read the new ones because they're yeah. so good. And so I want to go through the whole mythology before the last book comes out. Mm -hmm. I've never read that series. Has anyone else? I've not. I have not. I, I I highly recommend it. I think it's not his prose isn't as I don't know lofty as Jordan's. He's still got very good, very in detailed descriptions, but it's four books, not fourteen. Yeah. So and 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 some could say that that Jordan went a bit overboard in terms of his description. So <laughs> maybe Todd Williams found oh, he a better absolutely balance. Did. <laughs> yeah. So you could cut no, that. I, down. I love the way he writes. And it's even when he does like go on a bit long winded, it's so beautiful. Like the words that he picks, the way he describes it, you don't even care. It's just you love reading it. Yeah, that reminds me of someone like Guy Gabriel K, who is like, your prose is just so beautiful. I don't care what you talk about. I just I just want to read it because it's like just like the prose itself is aesthetically beautiful. And then the imagery that it puts in your mind is also aesthetically beautiful. So I'm like, I don't care what you have to say. Just like just toss it at me. I'm going to read that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Guy Gabriel K because I know he's famous for a book that's about a castle that has really deep mythology, Gormenghost, I think. And that's a big part of this series is there's a castle that has been around since the beginning of time, pretty much. And it's been built on top of and built on top of. And at some point you get to see the ruins of this castle and it takes you back millions of years into the history. And I don't know, I, I haven't read Guy, Guy Gabriel K, but I've heard if you like him, you would really like Tad Williams. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that... That comparison alone, I'm like, I'm on board. Hell yeah. <laughs> Although I do recommend if anyone... Uh, Justin, Go ahead, Tori. I, I was just going to say that uh, Justin also really liked Tad Williams. He has so many of them. Yeah, I, have all I don't of know if he books, has all of them. He might I have all of them. I have read his other world stuff because I'm kind of leery with sci-fi still. 
I feel like yeah. I'm too stupid to read sci-fi. I don't. You're not, no, don't don't be don't be leery about sci-fi, guys. Chill. Same. <laughs> I mean, I'm reading Red Rising. I'm about to start uh, Dark Age, and I yeah. love that series. So that might be my gateway into it. Tori, Tori would agree with that. Red Sorry, Rising that was... is definitely a gateway to sci-fi. Yes, it is. It was. Good. Uh, I still have to read. I, I still have to read the rest of them. So do I. But I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, so I I just finished. Uh, what was it? I, Iron Gold is that the fourth one? And now I have to take a break for a while. I'm doing a lot of book tours and stuff, and then I'll get back to Dark Age probably next month. Nice, cool. Well, uh, I'll start with my second recommendation. This is uh, the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, that's that's book one in the Broken Earth trilogy, and I'm just going to lump this whole series together, this trilogy, because it's so fantastic. Um, I've never been more challenged by fantasy than I have with this series. First of all, there's there's huge, huge sections of it with uh, second person, and I know second person can throw a lot of people off. And that for me was kind of like that little push, you know, that little bit of a slog to sort of get into the mindset of second person in the context of um, fantasy, because you don't normally see it that often. But once I got into it and sort of like inhabited that character, I was just in love with it, in love with the world. It's sort of like a far future Earth, but but far future in the terms of like uh, the the species has regressed to a certain point due to uh, you know certain cataclysms. This is a a world that is uh, just beaten by uh, cataclysmic earthquakes and volcanic activity. That's why it's called the Broken Earth trilogy. But the magic system ties into the world building in a way that is just amazing on par with, you know, Brandon Sanderson levels of uh, thought and, and implementation. But there are certain people who live in this world who are able to control uh, the geological forces and that's the magic system. And so geology and tectonic activity and all this kind of stuff plays huge into the series from, from beginning to end. And there's just, you know, it's never, it, it never goes overboard and sort of the, the geological aspects of it, from my opinion, um, but just sort of lays this really nice layering of uh, added, um, how do I put it, um, added understanding on top of the characters and, and everything that's going on. So it's like the magic system is fantastic. The world building was really, really good. And how those two intertwine, but then the main character, uh, right off the bat, you know, it was kind of like mother trying to search for her daughter in this wasted landscape, and and that was really compelling for me. It reminded me a lot of uh, John Gwynn's The Shadow of the Gods, but there's also multiple multiple perspectives, and you're not really sure at which point in time uh, they play into each other, but. As the series progresses, these multiple POVs sort of like start to block together and you start to figure out the mysteries of how she's presenting this narrative and what information you receive at which point in time. And by the end of the story, just on just like in the Greenbone saga, I was really invested in the characters, loved what was going on, loved the world, loved the stakes and the sort of tension that was built up over the course of the series. And the ending just blew me away. It just 
completely knocked it out of the park. It is a big investment in terms of the, the, the challenge of, you know, it's narrative style. And like I said, there's all these interlocking elements and it's not really clear, like what fits in where, you know, at a point where you think like, I really, really want to know this information, but it's like, just wait, hold up. It'll come, but not when you expect it. And the way that she delivered these sort of like twists and surprises just satisfied me to no end. You know, I was like, NK Jemison, you fucking nailed it with this. Cause you know, I felt challenged. I felt like I was, I was moving towards something that, that was unknown to me. And it was one of those books where, you know, I didn't really see the ending coming because I had no idea what to expect. But when I look back at it in hindsight, I'm like, oh man, all these pieces just came together and she dropped clues in such an intelligent way. And by the end of it, you know, I was just left floored. And it's very rare that I read a book and I'm floored. But by the end of book three, I was just blown away, absolutely blown away. So I cannot recommend this series enough, but it comes with the caveat that it is a very challenging series in terms of its um, narrative style, in terms of its POV uh, presentation, um, and in terms of sort of like the uh, heavy ideas that it plays with. But if you can get through it and you find yourself invested after the fifth season, hundred percent you should follow through with the obelisk gate and the stone sky because this series is absolutely phenomenal and obviously this was one of those rare books that just you know blew all the awards out of the water with like the hugos and uh nebulas and all that kind of stuff so completely well deserved and a series that i absolutely love and cannot wait to go back to one day i don't know if anyone sounds really good i don't know if anyone else has read it yeah, it sounds really good. I've not read it. It was the January, February, March sci-fi read on the Oasis, so I kept checking people's comments, and people were saying really good things about it. But I, I was busy reading. Well, I started to read uh, Prince of Thorns, so I, I only had time for the one. But yeah, it, and definitely the second-person narrative mm-hmm. people were commenting on. I've not read something in second sort of point of like person, so I'm not really sure how that works. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit challenging. The only other time where I've I've read it uh, in terms of sci-fi and fantasy was Jeff Vandermeer's, uh, Southern reach trilogy. I think book two, um, authority is written in second person. And that was another series that, that really challenged me in a lot of ways. So it's like second person is not, uh, is not the kind of POV that people are used to. So it might be a bit jarring at first to kind of read it and get into it. But if you find yourself just getting past that initial hurdle, I think it's, super promising and what it can offer in terms of uh the ability to connect with a character um you know we talked about empathy earlier and i think second person is one of these like weird mind tricks that that gives you an added ability to just empathize because it's pointed at you and so it's like oh every time it says you i just think about myself so it's kind of egotistical pov in a way but (laughs) um but it does allow for an added level of investment if you can get past the initial hurdle just of like the technical uh aspect of it yeah i did uh i read sounds uh, good i've read the fifth season but i never continued because uh i don't know i sum up the 
fifth season with just saying that was a mind fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, you're telling me the end of the series is worse. Just the end of that first book. Like, I feel like I need to go back and read it again. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Like you were saying as a caveat with the, the, uh, the structure and the way that it's told, it can be confusing, but I kind of think that's the selling point for me. Cause like my favorite film of all time is fight club. And the reason I love that movie is because it is a different movie. The second time you watch it. And the fifth season is a different book the second time you read it. Like that ending, I, I, I started getting hints of it throughout like the last half of the book. And then, yeah, like I, that's part of why I haven't continued with the series is I want to reread that first book again and yeah. then continue to go forward. Oh, dude, your, your mind is just going to be twisted all over the place by the time you finish book three. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm excited to continue it now that you say that. Yeah. No, that's super. Well, it's the only amazing. reason I never. <laughs> Go ahead, Nathan. The only reason I haven't picked up that series is because um, everyone scared me with the way it's written. So I'm like, no, I don't want to be uh, confused or I'll just leave it See, for another that's day. The, that's the best part. It's one of those books where you just go along for the ride and trust mm-hmm. that by the end, it's going to make sense. Yeah. And I will and say that regardless of the narrative perspective, that it's second person, the actual prose itself is beautiful it's really really beautiful so it's like it's not like the the sort of like pov is just gonna you know trip you up every single sentence once you get into it like you said sean just give yourself into it and you'll be absorbed by the language and the characters and and the um the actions and emotions that are taking place throughout the narrative more so than the than the style it's written in you know yeah like it was the first time i ever read present tense prose that Mm -hmm. threw me but the more i just kept going into the book the less it bothered me and the more i was just in it for the story yeah cool well uh nathy i'll toss it back to you for your second pick if you want to share um sure so my second pick is only popular now for some reason it's all over tiktok (laughs) oh nice um the priory of the orange tree um so i read this when it was when it first came out and um i actually really enjoyed it um it has dragons because i like dragons (laughs) um it has um lgbtq in the story um the prose is beautiful um I mean, I don't even know what else to say about it. I I read it so long ago, I'd probably have to read it again. Um, but I enjoyed the fact that she was able to put all these different characters from different parts of the world she created, and they all just met in one place. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like bringing um, the ensemble cast and together. And the dragons talk. Yeah, like I thought it was amazing. Um, there and it has a lot of uh cool magic, like very interesting magic. Um, I forgot how the magic was for one particular character, but she seems to be like some sort of godlike person. <laughs> um, it's just it's a really good story, I think. I think now that it's getting its its uh, shine again, I think people should pick it up and read it. 
And what, what's the general sort of like vibe of the world? What is, uh, or the story itself as well? It's, uh, okay. There's different kingdoms. Um, and one particular kingdom is ran by a queen and she's, there's this dragon that wants to conquer the kingdom and the world. Um, so the dragon is like, I'm going to say like the dragon's like Voldemort, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as in he wants to control everything and just be that one, uh, crazy person or creature. <laughs> um, that it's just, it's really hard. I forgot so much about it, but at the same time, I remember little things that made me love the story. Um, and there's this, uh, she's like a guard, the queen's guard. And she's the one that's meant to uh, save everyone, I guess mm-hmm. you can say. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's look how big it is. <laughs> is it part of, is it part of a series? And or it's is it a, a lot of point of views. It's a standalone, um, oh, which cool. is another thing I like about it because from start to finish, like you get everything in one nice big chunker. <laughs> No, I mean, so that that's an added benefit of it being so chonky. It's like, cool, this is a story that you can open and close and that's it. I mean, the fact that she was able to fit a whole story in that amount of pages is amazing. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, like nine, 800, 900 pages. And I think she did a great job. Has anyone else read that book? I haven't, but I have I've picked not. it up at every time I go to the bookstore just to look at it because it's fucking gorgeous. It's a hardcover. <laughs> it's, and I almost buy it, and I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the price tag. There's always some reason that I don't grab it, but I really want to. We yeah. have it. It has talking it has dragons. Because of how big it is. But I, I like that it's a standalone. I feel like the standalone's kind of a lost art these days. Yeah. And, uh, I just read the uh, the Maleficent Seven by Cameron Johnston, and it's a fantastic standalone. And it's like I need more like that. I don't want to have to commit to six, seven books every time I read a book these days. Yeah, yeah, I get that. As much as Rivers of London appeals to me, I'm just like, I'm gonna just go into it like thinking book one, and then next thing you know, I'm just like, oh shit, I got nine books <laughs> or like eight books, and then novellas yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. That's the great thing about those urban fantasy stories, though, is I use them as palate cleansers because you can just yeah. do one and done. And like if I'm getting burnt out on big books, I'll pick up a Dresden or an Alex Ferris novel and mm-hmm. blow through it in a couple of days and be satisfied. That was exactly how I use uh, Martha Wells' Murderbot books as well, the novellas. I need to get to those. Yeah, those are my palate cleansers. I'm just like, cool, novella, boom, burn through that. Some sarcastic AI, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> I read the first one and I loved it. Keep going, Nati. It gets better and better. Trust me. Oh, I'm sure it does because... That little hardback thing, but it's just so much money for so little books. Me too. I I got them here. Manny sent me a little care package uh, to my parents in Canada, and then they brought them down. But these little nice nice little... Uh, Yeah. They're They're so pretty. Hardback novellas. Things are so cool. Yeah, really, really love this. Yeah, I've got a, what is it, P. Jelly Clark's Ring Shout, and it's a tiny little hardback like mm-hmm. that, and it's I love it. Yeah. Justin just like, oh, loves that book. Oh, Ring, Shout, Ring Shout's he, one of my favorite. He adored it. Favorite novellas of all time. He tore through it. It sold me on him. I got Master of Gin the day it came out because of that, and love that book, too. Yeah, yeah, me as I well. I want to read that one. And, yeah, and, and, and honestly, Fen- Jelly Clark's uh, someone to watch. He, Fenderson is hilarious, too. 
Like I've had the chance to chat with him twice at this point. Yeah, I've watched all the ones with you and him because I just love him so much. Dude, he's hilarious. And he's the biggest Wheel of Time fan, speaking of that, that I've ever met. And I had him on the panel and he's just dropping all these little knowledge bombs. I'm like, I'm glad I invited you, dude. I was I was surprised to hear him have such a breath of knowledge with the Wheel of Time, considering what he writes. He no, he is obsessed with that series, and he he told me that it was like um, just this unfortunate case of like, uh, you know, a black guy growing up in a white man's fantasy world, so to say, and that was the literature that was around when he was growing up. And that was the kind of stuff that he connected with just because of the lack of anything that that represented him in particular. Um, And so as he got older, he's like, I still love that series. But, you know, I'm happy that now finally there's there's more out there. There's more diversity in books representing more diverse people. So it's just a case of that more. And you got the show that's making the Wheel of Time much more diverse as well. So exactly. Yeah. And uh, Tori, I'll toss it back to you for your second pick. Okay, so my second pick is actually a trilogy. And I think I think she's going to sleep, so I might have to be a little quiet. <laughs> um The Young Elites trilogy by Marie Lu. So it's the Young Elites, the Rose Society, and the Midnight Star. Cool. And when I tell you that I tore through this series, um I know I said that about the last book, but it's true for this one too. Um, the protagonist is so flawed and so mentally similar. I she's an antihero, so she's she's very um, she's very morally gray. Um, she doesn't always make good choices. And she can be very selfish. But the turnaround that she has through the series is just chef's kiss, man. I'm talking like salt <laughs> bay. <Mwah. laughs> and like, I was sobbing at the end of this book. Like, ugly, snotty sobs. Because it is, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the most heartbreaking and heartwarming and just tragic books I've ever read. Just all three of them. Because you, you root for Adelina through the whole thing. And, you, you know, you want her to make good choices and you want her to, you know, come to her senses and when when she does it's just it's fantastic it truly is fantastic and I, I love a good like if you come to the end of that and you're sobbing and snobbing and whatever the hell is just like leaking out of your face that's a oh, good I, from, a, from an author's perspective <laughs> and what, what kind of world is she inhabiting like what is she up against it's uh i don't want it's definitely asian um it's like a it's almost a feudal asian society um i don't know specifically what asian society um so i'm not going to assume anything um 
but it's it's definitely it's definitely very Asian and um it's all the better for it. It's it's like it's this is such a hard question. <laughs> Sorry, Tori. So Im- imagine like This is such a hard question. I've never struggled this much. Um, I I can't. I really can't say. Like, it's such a unique world that trying to narrow it down, I literally just don't have the words for it. Um, like I I know what I want to say, but it 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 won't come out, and I I don't know. <laughs> It's just so good. <laughs> it's so good. Well, that that's a sign of just something that, you know, a world that absorbed you so much that it's just kind of inexplicable, you know? It's hard to... Hard it to may not even be Asian. Words. I may be wrong. <laughs> it's just a world about something, you know? It's, I know that sounds terrible, but it's so freaking good. <laughs> like... I mean, I'm I'm interested in it. I love I love a, a good story where it's like you get the trilogy and you get the, um, you know, you just get like a satisfying arc from start to finish. Obviously, it's really difficult sometimes when a book starts off without really knowing that it's going to progress or get picked up by a publisher or what have you. But you know, if an author plants those seeds in the first book and then carries that arc. Whether it's like a progression arc or whether it's like redemption, what have you, if that comes together in a satisfying conclusion at the end, then it's just like, oh, yeah, that's how it was for me as well with the with the Broken Earth trilogy. Yeah. You know, it's like the fifth season just like fucked me up in the head. And then by the end, I was even more <laughs> destroyed. But at the same time, just mm, like Satis- satisfying it, doesn't even begin to yeah, cover it. Yeah. And it, it is just like it lingers with me to this day. It's beautiful. I could cry right now uh, if I really like thought about it hard. Don't cry when there's a baby on your shoulder. It's bad luck. <laughs> is it? No. <laughs> or did you make that up? <laughs> I just made that it up. It is now. That's on the internet. It has to be true. <laughs> All right, uh, Benny, I'll toss it to you for your second pick. Um, so it's a series, and it's called The Last War. I'm not sure if everyone's no, familiar. No? You know it now? Uh, we are yes. dead. Yes. So these, these infamous books. So the first one's We Are the Dead, and the second one's A Fool's Hope. The third one is out in August or end of July. Um, it's called Until the Last. I think the cover reveal is next week. Now, I'm not saying I've seen it, but it's. I think you'll like it a lot, but I'm not saying I've seen it. Do they match? But uh, <laughs> it looks really good. Sorry? Do they match the covers? I mean, if if someone's seen it, they can probably tell you. But I would oh, guess okay. it matches, <laughs> and I would guess it looks a lot like like a really sick and evil twisted but Voldemort. Benny or something. Benny so know yeah, we'll have to wait that, and no. see. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. So, um, but no, these um these books I actually had. We are the dead um on my shelf or on my Kindle for like a year, and I I, I kept looking at it, and I don't know what it was. There was something about I was like, oh, I don't think it's gonna be very good, and I was like, I don't really want to read it. 
but I'm quite friendly with, with the author, Mike Shackle, who's like a really nice guy. He lives in Canada and he's from England, like originally, but he's lived all over the all over the globe. And um, I put it off for so long. And then I wanted to read them because we had it as a buddy read on January, the Oasis Discord this year. So Galank sent me copies of the books because I thought it should be easy. I had it on my Kindle. I went to buy them in Waterstones and they didn't have them in stock and they didn't have them on the system. And I was like, well, that's weird because I know they're published by a publisher, so you should have them. So they sent me them, which is great. And then I tore through the first book. It is, the whole series is like, it's unreal how good it is. Like, I can't, right, it's going to get started now. I'll just warm myself up. It's, it's honestly, it's just crazy. They are so underrated. Criminal. People should be arrested for not reading these <laughs> books. They're so good. Like, what, it's, it starts off like, it's, but it's about the last war, which is called Second Awari. And that's not, that's sort of at the start. It sort of starts. So you've got the, the Shulker and the Jias, Jias, I suppose they live in Jian, and you've got these enemy called the Egril. So it's a bit like the the North in Game of Thrones. You have got the Wall, and it's like the above that is all like the the you know the horrible like idiots or whatever you know the, the <laughs> enemy basically. Well, for years the Shulker, Neutral, horrible idiots, <laughs> these damn, it, damn idiots, <laughs> you icy idiots, those <laughs> <laughs> idiots. For years, like the Shulker have always won. They're like warriors, and they wear those the red mask or like the mask you see there. And they always win. Well, then something happens, and the eagle come through, and they just decimate them, and they just take off. They're just they're murdering people, butchering them. It's it's very much a grim dark book. And then the story is now is that they're, they're swamped and they're enslaved, and people are trying to fight back. And that's what the story is about. And it's it's incredible. It's so good. Like there's like um there's not a, there's magic, but there's not a lot of it. And I won't t- say any spoilers for anything. But there's not a lot of magic, but there is a there's a bit. But it's it's a very character driven story. There's multiple points of view, and each book adds some new points of view. And there's character there's a character in there. So if you've read the Greenbone Saga and you like Barrow, who's like a very morally grey character, there's a character in here in the in that you'll see in the first book doing like he's basically he's one of, he's one of my favourite characters. He's the Shulker like at the army, and then you've got like rebels who are also fighting back themselves mm. and he goes down to the army base and he's trying to draw dicks on the wall and he gets caught <laughs> and you're like oh, he's going to get killed he's going to get butchered and then something happens he's there just drawing a big dick on the wall and it's set in a fantasy land there's there's not electricity or lamps and stuff but it's very modern like the, he's got street names and stuff um and there's swords and spears and bows and arrows and things like that and it's it's a, he's mike's got a really unique way of writing but it's it's very easy to follow. It flows like perfectly. Like there's like it's just like a like a slow river, and it's everything's fine. There's no interruptions. But he's very like will write like swear words in there as they're being said by characters, and he's got a very good way of using a lot of. I'm trying to think the best way to put it like sayings and you know things people might say as like a like common saying type thing in there, and it just it feels very relatable. Sorry, you said kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, bits of jog. Yeah, it feels the whole book feels so relatable. It's just they're amazing. Honestly, I can't honestly. Every you really, you've got it, or you've looking at it for a while. hundred percent read it. Then the first one's like five hundred pages, and then it's like six hundred. And then the last one's like seven. The last one's like seven fifty, I think it is. Sometimes it's a bit bit bigger. But there's no part in it where the action like lets off. It's just constant action, and there's cliffhangers almost at the edge of every chapter. Um. And the reason set's criminally underrated because the first books did really well. Like people like Patrick are given like a four and a half or a five and said it's incredible. Like people from Fanfare Addict have said how incredible it is, including myself. 
And then book two, I think it's got like 50 reviews. That's it. And it's just, it sort of like just dropped a bit. I don't know why, because book two just is is phenomenal. And I think, again, like Patrick, he says like one of the, I think I'm, I think somebody from, I think somebody said it's one of the best, a few people have said it's like a, one of the best middle books I've ever read. It, it just ramps up everything. It's just, there's things you won't see coming in there. The action, like people like, there's, yeah, I don't want to say too much. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just tell you everything. But it's just, they're so good. They're dark books. They're grim dark, but realistic. Things happen you won't expect to come. None of the characters are safe. And the characters are all brilliant. And they're, they're different POVs. It's very much like A Song of Ice and Fire, where you've got like Cersei or Jaime Lannister has, or Tyrion has like a POV, and that goes against the Stark. So you can see both sides of the mm-hmm. battle. You've got that kind of stuff in there. It's just, yeah, they're just amazing. They're so, so good. Um, yeah, well worth reading. Honestly, I can't Dude. just read the last one. I'm like Shackle. We are the yeah. dead. The your your enthusiasm is just like bleeding through the screen right now. I love it. I love it. That is <laughs> that one sounds- thing that I, I wanted to comment on. I love watching you yeah. talk because you are so yeah. animated and so into this, and I love it. <laughs> oh, thank you. But that sounds awesome. I mean, um, I will comment on what you said about uh, the character Baru from from Fondalee's Greenbone Saga. She told me that that character just kind of came out of nowhere and she realized she needed like someone to um, offer like an alternative perspective within the world that she created. Cause everyone else is within this, like uh, w- within this like criminal family, you know? And, yeah. and so that character kind of came out of, out of nowhere as like a surprise, but also as the series went on as like a necessity, sort of like uh, a contrast to the other characters in the world that they inhabit. So I really love that you, that you mentioned that for, for Mike's series, because, you know, like in game of Thrones, you get all these different characters that, that flesh out the world and make it more rounded and feel a bit more real by getting different perspectives on what's happening in there. And then mix that in with some grim dark shit. And it's like, man, I'm sold. That sounds awesome. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. The (laughs) character's called Dren and he's like 17 and the, the, the army are trying to fight back. And then he's just there like, being a dick and just attacking the army mm-hmm. and just fucking things up it's just it's brilliant because it's like everything and what i suppose what's most impressive for me is for mike is a pantser so he doesn't plan everything out like say justin called planned out for 10 years his books master artif- artificer master yeah the master of the sorrows and the master artificer yeah he i think he planned 10 years plan those out whereas mike is just a pantser like other some other authors but he just writes as he goes along and you wouldn't think it because the way stuff ties in together it's just incredible yeah honestly i'm just a champion this book because it's so good <laughs> it's just amazing i think gonna, i think once the cover's revealed i'm gonna do a giveaway on twitter galanx have said so i just want to wait for that cover to be revealed but i think it's because galanx and are owned by orion and orion cover the us and galanx cover the uk yeah. i think it's just a uk giveaway because galanx can only do that within the uk so they publish in the UK on behalf of Orion Books. So, yeah, can't wait. I don't see this. So good. Yeah. Amazing. Can you tell me the name of the books again so okay. I can add them to my TBR? Yeah, it's the, the Last War is the series. And We Are the Dead is the first book. And A Fool's Hope is the second. What might be really nice is a green cover for the third mm-hmm. one. I mean, I don't know what they've got planned. That's what but I was, was hoping for. Fondalee did that for I actually uh, pictured green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a it, it's a trilogy that um i know mike works like a lot of authors like a normal job and i don't say this lightly like his the writing quality is up there with like fonda lee and brandon sanderson and you know uh, like joe abercrombie and all these big people and you really should be getting that kind of reception 
and be a full-time writer because the books are just insane. And he's, he's writing a new book in a separate world. I think it's a separate world. And it's got a guillotine in it. And that's all I know. I think it's maybe like a French revolution fantasy book or something he told mm-hmm. me. So yeah, he should be he should be a full-time author. He should be earning that that money because it's it's really 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 good, dude. What well, with I, people I with people like you behind dead, him, and it was well. awesome. <laughs> yeah, I read We Are the Dead and loved it. And A Fool's Hope is something. I was gonna try and jump on the uh, Oasis read along, and then I spaced it. But I'm gonna get to it real soon. I'm really excited for it. Oh, I see. You'll love it. Actually, I had to. I bought it from the UK because it wasn't available in America yet. And so I have like a tiny little We Are the Dead that's Orion, and then a big trade hard or paperback of a fool's home from yeah. blanks and it bothers me so much yeah that that happened to me with uh ken Liu's uh daniel dynasty and it just like oh it pains me every time i look at those books i'm just like i love this series yeah. but it's like one is the mass market trade back uh mass market paperback and the other is the trade and it's just like my mind just mm, oh, that, mm, no yep yeah. no i can't do it <laughs> oh man well benny that sounds awesome i'm really really excited to to get into that series and i heard mike uh during tbr con as well and he he just seems like a an awesome guy so oh, yeah really quick betty have yeah. you read his stuff as uh what is it mike morris he writes uh morris no okay is it good i don't know i have a copy I mean, of Hebrew fights and i was just wondering if there's someone out there who's read it but i'm gonna be getting to it soon no i haven't read it either i heard it described as john wick in fantasy no. so i picked it up damn Oh, okay. I'm gonna have to look. I'm not sure why he fights. I'm not sure why he fights. I'm not sure why he writes in a different in, with a, a pseudonym. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know why either. I'll have to have a look. I know those stuff. ones are self-published, though. Mm. Oh, might be that then. Maybe it's yeah. Maybe it's that. Maybe he wrote those before he he started on this new series, or, or I yeah, know. I don't know the timing. I just actually found out about the second pseudonym that he writes under a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Well, uh, Sean, do you want to? Oh, I see. Do you want to share your second pick? Uh yeah, uh for mine, I picked uh, the Paternus trilogy. Ooh, nice! This is the special Kickstarter edition that I just got in the mail a little while nice. ago. So lucky! And um, I I found this series. I don't know. It's been on my TBR before I even knew what self published fantasy was. Amazon gave me a lot of ads for that and i looked into it and i ended up actually connecting with dirk ashton on twitter and he's a big mythology buff as am i and that was something that sold me uh the paternus trilogy basically it starts off it's in the real world it's in our time and you meet uh two human characters that are pretty normal and as the story goes on you learn that every mythology that's ever existed in the world is real but then most of them can be traced back to a handful of different people like Every religion's got a bull god. Well, that was the same bull, and he just went around the world to different places. And uh, you start meeting all these gods, and you find out that there's been a war going on since the beginning of time between the good gods and the bad ones. And uh, these two, this boy and a girl, Fiona and uh, Zeke, just get thrown into it. And it's awesome. It's told in present tense, and it's actually made me fall in love with that. And present tense is my preferred style of writing now because of it. And uh, he writes very cinematically. Dirk Ashton worked in the film industry before he wrote, and he wrote screenplays. He's actually in Night of the Living Dead remake that came out in the 90s as one of the zombies. And uh, so it kind of reads like a movie. It's really, when my reviews for it, I said it's the best blockbuster I've ever read. Like, it feels like reading an Avengers movie, but uh, it's not a carbon copy of everything before it. Like, I don't know. It... 
it's amazing. I love it. I love it so much. It's urban fantasy, but it's epic fantasy at the same time. There's multiple worlds. There's the characters are amazing. He takes these gods that are mythic figures and makes you relate to them somehow. Even though they've been alive for millions of years, you find something in them. Oh, you know, I can I I can understand that. And it's just it's awesome. Yeah, dude, that's it a series. It sounds really good. I've been interested. Mm. Yeah, it's the last book is uh the probably the best final book I've read in a long time. Like it was the most satisfying ending, like you guys have talked about with uh Broken Earth and um uh, sorry, I ADHD too. I've forgotten. Yeah, Greenbone Saga. Uh, the ending just—I was crying. Uh, the set, the end of the second book. Talk about an awesome like bridge book. Like the ending that that one had me crying is just such an emotional journey, and uh, very underrated. Very, very underrated. I think. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've spoken to Dirk as well, uh, just here and there, and he'll he'll be coming onto the podcast uh, later this year, but. You know, I really have to get around to this series because I've heard nothing but good things about it. My friend Nicholas Eames recommended it to me like two years ago. It's like, man, I really need to do Nick justice and read read that series and also just support Dirk because he's, um, you know, a really, uh, I think, positive voice in the self-publishing community, um, you know, in a community that that has a lot of positive voices, but his is is quite big and um i think that is something that is definitely needed in a community that relies uh i think just as much on like sort of like author relationships as it does author reader relationships <laughs> um and i i really respect that and yeah just everything you say like i love mythology and that series sounds freaking amazing me so. too yeah he does and he goes through it in yeah. ways that never feels info dumpy it never feels like you're going to school it's mm-hmm. Because they're they're all family and they're all characters. So when you're learning their history, you're learning family drama. So it's I don't know. It's it's fucking brilliant. Oh. It kind of reminds me of Percy Jackson. I've heard some people say that it's Percy D- Jackson for adults. I've never read or seen Percy Jackson, <laughs> so I can't speak to that. <laughs> it's good. But I did hear recently that it's basically that for adults. It's a very adult series. Um, but. And then Dirk Ashton, he's got a, a workman-like prose too, where it's just he's there to tell you the story. He's not there to impress you with having the best words and all that. It's just like this is the story, and he gets you to the ending, and you love every second of it. That definitely sounds like someone who came from screenwriting. Just like be efficient. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing with screenwriting too is told in present tense, and so I think that's what maybe part of what led him to writing the book that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it 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 reads like a screenplay. Dude, that's awesome though, because like I really love present tense as well. And I have one POV character in the book that I'm currently working on who is in present tense. And it's it's so much fun to work in. Like it, it really, you know, shifts your uh way of perceiving a scene. Um, but in Dirk's case, if it's a very cinematic storytelling style, the fact that it's in present tense is only gonna immerse you even more. Yeah, and I feel like it gives the story an urgency and like, like, because it's happening now. You're not reading about yesterday. Like, this is happening to you right now. And yeah. so you just, like, I don't know. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. Well, I think we're going to, we're going to close it out there. But before we do, I want to uh, ask you guys what you, 
what you think about the fantasy genre as it currently is right now, you know, what are your thoughts on, on how the genres, uh, how the genre is looking right now in terms of, you know, things like diversity, representation, uh, POV styles, sort of mixing it up with a uh, narrative presentation, all that kind of stuff. But then also how you would like to see it progress more uh, in the next few years, what you think might be missing uh, in the fantasy world that you'd like to see more of or trends or tropes that you'd like to see more of as well. So I'll start with uh, you, Benny. <laughs> I'm not sure, really. I was, I was waiting for you to call someone. I was like, please don't call me first because I'm thinking what I'd like. And I was like, oh, I need more time. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of where it is now, I suppose every year it can only get stronger because as technology becomes more available and more people get to writing and the self-publishing becomes bigger, like I think I would I'd hazard a guess that since shops were closed over COVID, I really feel like self-publishing has rocketed and self-publishing definitely was something that even I would have looked at two or three years ago and thought like, well, oh, it won't be very good. That's why they've self-published because they couldn't get an agent. Whereas after reading a lot of self-published books, it's, it's the opposite. It's that people choose to self-publish because they want control of their own IP or they choose because that's a better method for the way their brain works or that's better because they want to be a self-published author. Um, and there's no better or worse way of doing stuff like some people have published fondly published traditionally by orbit and ryan carhill for example self-published you know his books and there's just so many good stories out there to read and i think the self-publishing game has stepped up loads which is good because it gives publishers something to think about when they're offering public authors mm -hmm. contracts that they you know what this person could leave and self-publish or enter spfbo you know and there's it, it's better for everyone really we get better stories and authors hopefully should be getting a better deal whichever method they go down in terms of like, what do what do i want from fantasy um i don't know there's so many books i haven't read and i can only i mean in your lifetime if you read 50 books a year for say 50 years you're going to read two and a half thousand books so there's there's so many books i've still got to read that i've got on a shelf that i can see from where i'm sitting that i need to get through so i don't know i think if i if there's anything i really want um I think might be more standalones that we touched on before. I think I haven't read Prior of the Orange Tree, and it does scare me because it looks like kill somebody because they dropped it on the head when they're reading <laughs> it. But I think standalones uh, could be really good. I think there's there's a lot of stories nowadays where, we, as we said, it's it's a trilogy or a quartet or it's like a Wheel of Time or a Cosmic event. You know, it's huge, like the MCU style, and I think they're great. But I think it's very time consuming, um, and I think maybe. Just solid standalones, even if they're tied into a world like Warbreaker, you know, you can read on its own, but it's also got the option there that it's tied in. Mm -hmm. I think things like that. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably go standalone. Just, you know, if authors out there self-published or published, have got these crazy ideas they want to run, just just knock them out. Four or five hundred page, you know, standalone book and tied all up in a bow. And I think you'll be impressed by how well they can do, because sometimes we need a book that you can just read and tick the series off rather than having to invest every few years. And I think you probably see better returns as a for a monetary way because I know a lot of people tend to wait till all books are out before mm -hmm. they invest into a series. So I think that standalones would probably be a good yeah standalones. I think that's my answer, dude. That's that's awesome. Honestly, um, what you brought up about yeah. self publishing, I saw Tori nodding her head vigorously, <laughs> and I'll let you jump in right after this. Hundred percent. What I I have seen about the current state of uh, fantasy 
is how much self-published books have blown up. And I love that, you know, seeing people like Crystal Matar, uh, you know, Ryan Cahill, who are newer on the scene, but then you also see people like Dirk Ashton, you know, the Rob J. Hayes of, of the self-publishing world who are still continuing to push forward. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say that self-publishing is ever breaking the envelope, but at the very least, it's just like tearing it open a little bit. So at the very, so that traditional publishers are seeing, oh shit, there's a, there's a market for this now, or self-publishing is allowing more experimentation in this particular way. Maybe we should try that. And, you know, I love how this you know, one silver lining about this pandemic is it's it's given self-publishing a leg up in terms of getting out there and allowing people to better present their work, market their work, et cetera, but then also feedback into the, the publishing world as a whole. So this feedback loop between traditional and self-publishing is starting to become stronger. And I love that. And yeah, more standalones. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Tori, I'll toss this to you. And you're vigorous nodding. Go for it, girl. I think that I, I definitely agree with Benny. Um, uh, self-publishing has come such a long way in just, you know, the past couple of years. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons that I decided to go ahead and self-publish instead of sticking with an indie pub. Um, I, I just, I felt like my work would be better served in self-publishing. Um, and I think that speaks volumes to the amount of talent and effort and just amazingness, for lack of a better word. <laughs> Um, that's, that's currently coming into the genre and I, I think that, I think that fantasy is so well served with self-publishing because there are so many stories that need to be told and that are getting told that maybe wouldn't otherwise get told if they did not have the avenues that we have now. Um, and I think that that is something that fantasy has been sorely lacking is the diversity and the, um, I'm losing my words, but I think that having the opportunity for all of this growth and having all these avenues and having all these, you know, big publishers who are opening their eyes and saying, okay, people want to read this or people want to read that. And I think that self-publishing has a big role in that and especially self-publishing in fantasy. Um, but as far as what I would like to see in fantasy, um, I, th- and I harp on this a lot, but I think mental health representation is so important. Um, and absolutely more diversity for BIPOC writers and um, LGBTQ writers and stuff like that. But I definitely think that mental health has enough diversity, you know, within it to have a platform of its own. Um, 
you know, one of the things that I loved the most about the young elites that I mentioned earlier was that Adelina mentally struggled. You know, she was not okay all the time. And it was accepted. You know, she, she, she had to learn how to become okay. And I think that journey that that difficulty of becoming of of learning to be okay when you're not is is really important for a lot of people especially young people who are you know getting into fantasy um you know that th- they may not be able to just jump into grimdark and say you know this is what i want to read because that's a deep end or, you know <laughs> just yeah jump straight and into you know grimdark. they may not they may not be able to jump straight into Brandon Sanderson or because they may not see themselves in the page or they may see their themselves in the extreme on the page. And I think that finding a healthy balance between the two is, is something that fantasy fantasy really needs. No, I completely agree. And that's why I love, you know, getting to meet self-published authors like Luke Tarzan, for instance, who, focuses so much more on things like mental health where a traditional publisher might say, you know, or an agent or an editor, whoever might say like, ah, maybe you want to cut this or not emphasize that so much. Self-publishing gives authors the opportunity to do a bit more of like a deep dive into, you know, mental or racial or gender uh, situations that are challenging and are representative of the real world, but traditional publishing might not necessarily have the uh, risk-taking ability, um, whether that's by their own judgment or not, to be able to support and market and push stories like that. So I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Nati, what about you? I'll toss the same question your way. Um, I'm going to agree with Tori and about the whole mental health. Um, I recently read a book that I'm in a tour for Justin. (laughs) Um, And it deals with grief, loss, and uh, that book really hit me hard. You You guys obviously know I'm going through the stuff with my mom and also my son's health. So trying to make yourself okay I want to see that in a fantasy as well. Like I want to see more characters struggle with their ability to be okay. But at the same time, you know, see them. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I I want that connection with those characters and I would like to see that um, in fantasy in the future. I want to see more of that. Um, And Another thing with the self-publishing, I feel like it's skyrocketed. (laughs) Like so many authors are coming out with their stories and it's amazing. And I can't wait to read Tories. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I just feel like I want to see more of that as well, because um, everyone thinks that to be popular, you have to be, um, you know, signed to a big publisher, but you don't. Uh, you know, it's all about what you write and 
how people connect with your writing and your characters and everything. And I want to see more of that in fantasy. Yeah. I like that. And also just, um, building on what you're talking about with mental health. I think it's important to, I think it's important for people to understand that like the struggle that someone goes through in a, in a story, you know, representative of the struggles that we go through in everyday life. It doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, the ending's perfect and everything's tied up in a beautiful, perfect little bow. So you can overcome little struggles that outwardly to other people look like small things, but individually, internally can be monumental. So mental health is that kind of thing where like the external representation is so difficult to convey to people. But books give us the opportunity to read about characters. It gives authors. <clears throat> the opportunity to write about characters who go through these internal struggles and represent them in an external way that makes it more understandable. And then by the end of it, you realize like this seemingly small thing over the course of a novel can be exponential for this, this individual character. And then for me, that helps me to overcome like the little struggles in my own life and understand that, you know, take pride and take meaning in every little hurdle that you overcome, regardless of how other people perceive it. And I think that's a really important thing too. And uh, Sean, and I'll toss what, over. Oh, go ahead, Nati. Yeah. I was just going to say um, something that Tori mentioned um, in one of the characters of, uh, of the book that she was talking about earlier, um, that it is hard to make yourself be okay. You know, I struggle with that on a daily basis. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see someone put it in words with someone, you know, someone that doesn't exist, but, uh, it's, it's nice to see that people can relate. Authors can relate to that. So yeah, yeah. you can go to Sean. <laughs> I agree. And Sean, I'll, I'll close out with you. With the with the same question. Well, um, I agree with everybody else here. I think the mental health uh, representation by race, sex, uh, sexual orientation is really important. Um, I would like to give a quick shout out to uh, Jesse Nolan Bailey's series, "A Disaster of Dokogen." For anyone who's looking for that kind of representation, is fucking fantastic in that series, and it's also a great horror fantasy. But it's it's got stuff that I never dreamed I would see in fantasy as far as representation goes. Um, like one example is with the Fae. They're not he or she. They are Fae is their mm -hmm. pronoun. And okay. fair. I, I thought that was fucking brilliant. Like, of course they wouldn't be he or she. Mm -hmm. They're Fae. Yeah, there and, were uh, Fae Fair, and then there was a Zizir. Yeah, and which... then there's a Zizir in there too. And like, I never thought I'd see that in fantasy. Ever. Ever. Um, I thought it was, and it was so brilliantly woven in that it was just like, yeah, he makes it, it just was. work in the world too. Like it's not there to be there just, just to be there. You know, it's, it's an in world thing that makes sense. And, uh, but for me, what I would like to see more is uh neurodiversity. Uh, as somebody on the spectrum, I just read dragon mage by ML Spencer and the character in that book was a fantastic representation of someone with autism. Um, and I think that's something that's really overlooked and can be dealt with in fantasy along with mental health. You can, those two can tie in very easily. Um, and then just on like a storytelling perspective, I'd like to see, there's this, uh, 
like a trend kind of going where people are learning from Grimdark, but bringing it back to its roots, like uh, Ryan Cahill, uh, Mark Timoney with uh, The Blood of the Spear is one. And uh, I don't know, I'm sure there's more that I can't think of right now. But it's like, it's epic fantasy and there's good versus evil, but there's a gray to the good and the evil still. Like it's not Joe Abercrombie cynical, but it's not Lord of the Rings cut and dry who's good and bad. Yeah. And I really like that because I feel like Grimdark is, or like whatever you want to call Grimdark, but the, the stories were just getting to the point where it was nihilist. They were nihilists. Whereas it's, I've heard it called Grim Heart, where it's like a grim world with a bit of heart in it, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see that continue. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's that's what I'd like to see from fantasy. I like I like Grim Heart. That sounds so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> I heard someone describe Ed McDonald Ed, Ed McDonald's series, the yeah. one with the book Blackwing. They called Raven it Grim Heart, and ever since then, yeah, yeah, and ever since uh. I heard that term. I was like, I like that. And I'd like to see something like that go on where you can have a really fucked up world, but the main character can still have a heart and try and do what's right. Exactly. No matter how much the world pushes back at him. Yeah. And on what you mentioned about neurodiversity, another thing that kind of goes with mental health in terms of, I think self-publishing is pushing the limits of what that representation uh, is in terms of fantasy, science fiction, what have you. Self-published authors are the ones who are pushing mental health representation, neurodiversity representation, and Tori's husband, Justin Gross. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but he has an amazing uh, blog series on FanFi Addict uh, about neurodivergence, and I highly recommend anyone go check those out. There's tons and tons of articles there. Um, and on that note, uh, you can find all of these wonderful people on fanfiatic.com. You can check out their reviews, but I'll go through one by one if you can let viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media, what have you. So, Benny, we'll start with you. Okay, yes, I'm on Fanfiatic as a reviewer, but I am on Twitter mainly at bookishbenny, all one word. And you also run the SFF Oasis Discord server. Yes. Yeah, there's a Discord, so that's, I think that's at SFF Oasis on Twitter, and then you can find a link to the Discord. It's coming up to about 450 members. Um, and then there's read-alongs every month. It's like body reads, and then there each month that people can suggest. So if you want to read one, you can suggest it, and if it gets five votes, it'll get like a whole room created for a month. And then there's trilogy reads. So for each quarter, there's one male and one female trilogy we're reading, and that's one sci-fi, one fantasy each quarter so on the 1st of april we start the first law by joe crombie and the protectorate by megan o'keefe and those run april may june and then we start some new ones awesome and nathy what about you where can people find you on social media um so i'm natty reads books all together i'm on instagram with the same name twitter with the same name um you can find me in those two places I'm very active on both. So awesome. And uh, Sean, what about you? Where can people find you on social media? Um, I, I'm on uh, Twitter as at High Fantasy with two H's at the end of High. Um, that was the original name of my blog. And then I'm on Facebook as just my name, Sean Conley. If anyone wants to add me there, that's fine too. I'm really active in like the Grimdark group that's on there and uh, a few other things. Um, I don't do Instagram because I don't know and I don't understand it. 
<laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then I'm on Goodreads also as Sean Chalant, so you can go there and track my regularly every night track my reading progress what i read that day how many pages on goodreads so if you want to keep up with what i'm reading that's a good place to go awesome thank you and tori what about you where can people find you and if you could let everyone know a little bit more about what we can expect from your debut novel oh my gosh oh. okay <laughs> you put me on the spot Always. <laughs> addy woke up for this so now i have to deliver um you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Torio Reads. Um, I have a TikTok. I am Torio94 on TikTok. It is not book related. I am a moron and proceed to act <laughs> like one regularly. Um, I am also on Goodreads. I think as Tori Gross, it might be Victoria. You know, it, who knows? But um, so. My book is called Zodiac Rising, and it is about this girl whose mentor slash father figure um, gets murdered, and her best friend slash love interest uh, gets accused of the crime, and she is forced to um, go on like a a manhunt essentially um after him because she she lets him go and um yeah all kinds of chaos ensues ensues <laughs> i don't know what i said uh, I, I was up till seven thirty this morning so forgive me um so yeah all kinds of chaos ensues um there's a religious cult there's a uh, magic system that's based on the zodiac signs and it's elemental magic and there's some meditation magic and it's a wild ride and i'm so excited for it to get out into the world and i just i hope people love it as much as i do because i've been working on it for five six years now five six years mm -hmm. somewhere Somewhere in there. You're so close, Tori. It's almost out. I'm so close. Yeah, yeah. I'm so close. It comes out hopefully um in sometime in July or August. I don't have a I don't have a you know full release date yet, but I'm getting it to my editor in May and we're gonna go from there. Yeah. Yeah, well I mean I can't wait for it. And yeah, I know you have Thanks. you have the backing of all the fanfighta crew behind you, so yeah. Thanks. I know the. I know. Don't, I know. I don't talk in the group chat very much, but you guys are my family. So we got you. We got you. And uh, yeah, honestly, Tori, Benny, Sean, Nati, I'm very, very happy that we got to chat today. And thank you for sharing your favorite fantasy books and series with everyone. And yeah, I had a great time, and I'm very looking forward to having you all back on the show at some point. Yeah, this was awesome. This was a fun one. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to come back. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. And there we have it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this fanfiatic family panel on our favorite fantasy books and series. 
Thank you again to our panelists this episode, Tori, Benny, Nathy, and Sean. And thank you to everyone who voted on Twitter for the next FanFiatic family panel topic. This was a really, really fun one to do, so thank you. If you like this episode, please subscribe. Rate and review us on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. It helps a lot and we greatly appreciate it. You can also follow SFF Addicts on Twitter or Instagram at SFF Addicts Pod for updates and more. And you can follow me, Adrian M. Gibson, on Twitter or Instagram at Adrian M. Gibson. SFF Addicts is part of FanFiAddict.com, so make sure to check us out there for the latest in book reviews, essays, and all things sci-fi and fantasy, as well as the full episode archive for the podcast. And for all your literature needs, head over to thebrokenbinding.co.uk. All music comes courtesy of the talented Astronauts. Check them out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash S-T-R-O-N-O-Z. All links for the episode are also available in the show notes. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts. <laughs>